Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY. Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 1023. Say, if you're going to find yourself in Irvine, November 15 and 16, I'll be at the Irvine Improv down there. Uh, Irvine is just a little south of Los Angeles, so whether you're in San Diego or Los Angeles or Orange County or any of the surrounding areas, um, come on down to the Irvine Improv. Uh, you can just uh, search for the Irvine Improv on uh, online, or if you go to id10t.com slash tour, that will give you ticket links uh, as well. And there's a lot of other fun stuff there at id10t.com. Also, thanks if you came out to any of the New York shows in Caroline's this last weekend or to New York Comic-Con. Uh, I love performing in New York, and uh, New York Comic-Con is a blast. Big Walking Dead news. Maggie Green coming back to the show. Uh, so a lot of excitement. It was just a good time, just a good vibe. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much, New York. It was really fun to get there. When we when our plane took off, the pilot said, it's uh, weather's great in New York, it's 91 degrees. Literally by the time we landed, it became fall <laughs> and rainy and chilly. Not chilly to a New Yorker. I understand you can wear shorts in 55-degree uh, weather, but to a Los Angelino with no uh, pr- kind of built-in internal protection from the elements. It was real chilly, but uh, but a good time nonetheless. Also, let's talk about the ID10T Community Court Board events at ID10T.com for your thing that you made or that your friend made or something that you just like. Like Phil, who writes... I'm writing on behalf of my friend, Minneapolis-based composer Philip Shorey. He's written an original score for the classic 1920 silent film Nosferatu, A Symphony of Horror. Philip will be conducting the Curse of the Vampire Orchestra, made up of volunteer musicians from all over the world, at the Music Box Theater here in Minneapolis this October. They've just completed a summer tour of Germany and Poland. There will be three performances over October 18-19 weekend. If you happen to be in the Minneapolis area and want to have a great time experiencing a silent horror classic along with a Danny Elfman-esque live orchestra, please grab your tickets. This is a free event. To get tickets, search Nosferatu, a symphony of horror tickets, and follow the Eventbrite link. This episode is Brian Henson, who uh, uh, is promoting Farscape, the Uncharted Territories 20th Anniversary Costume Celebration, Saturday, October 19th, from 7 to 11 p.m., because 2019 marks the 20th anniversary since Farscape premiered, and to celebrate... Jim Henson Company is hosting this costume celebration on their company lot, which, if you have not been, is spectacular. Uh, It's a historic lot um, in the entertainment business. Uh, It was originally a Chaplin Studios lot and then became A&M Records and then Henson. Uh, There's going to be live entertainment, special guests, a costume contest, and more. Go to Farscape20th.com, and that's the number two zero th.com farscape20th.com but uh the Hensons have always been super nice to me which is a sentence that feels very surreal for me to say out loud uh because of how influential they have been throughout my life and childhood <laughs> but uh but they are um one of my first offices was on the Henson lot and I uh you know have partnered with them on many things in the past and gotten to host a lot of fun stuff for them so I love, 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 love them for personal reasons as well as professional reasons. So uh, this is the ID10T episode number 1023 with Brian Henson. And now it's time to roll the thing. 
Initiating ID10T protocol. What are you talking about? Of course. Okay. It is not hard to get me to come to the Henson lot. <laughs> it is really not a big ask. It is a, it is a, when they said, oh, Brian, I don't think he'll be able to come to you. Do you want to go do it in his office? I'm like, yeah, I would have requested that if I had known that was even an option because our first production offices were on this lot. Uh, yes, they were. In that, but that, I, we, and we miss you. You were, in, yeah. Well, you were in a bungalow. We were in a bungalow that's not there they anymore. Tore, yeah, no, the, it was a, belongs to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and they tore them down. Yeah, because I think they're building something else. Like, uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, if it's Hollywood, what they're doing is they're tearing anything with charm down and putting up weird glass boxes yes, probably everywhere. Likely. It is. Although, actually, I think that I think that school does look good down there. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. good, 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 yeah. good, good. Yeah, it's their property. Because it, because. Uh, there are more and more pla- like this lot is one of the la- like last really historic things in this area. Most everything else just gets ripped down, and you know. Yeah, it is an interesting thing in in Hollywood. Well, what 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 we did when we bought it, Hollywood, the Chamber of Commerce asked us if we would allow the buildings to be officially made historic. And, of course, anybody that advises you on real estate says, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it because right. you'll devalue the, the property because right. then from then forever it has to stay. And I was like, no, of course, we absolutely will do that. Right. We'll, we'll make the buildings historic. So, yeah. so now we're ha- officially historic buildings that yeah, that's can good, never be you, torn down. Yeah, you, and you can't, you can't change. If you even want to change a brick outside, it's a whole <laughs> process. <laughs> a, well, they're pretty good about it, actually, because oh, we had a fire hydrant blow up outside. Well, not blow up. Somebody <laughs> knocked the fire hydrant off. And the water went up like a hundred feet into the air. It was unbelievable, and the water came back down so hard that it that it came right through our roofs. Here. Oh no! And I mean, we're right now we're in Charlie Chaplin's office, and the water came right through the old wood roofs, the old wood shingled roof, uh, and we had to rebuild it. But we real we rebuilt it perfectly the the, the way it was. I would imagine you did. I feel like if anyone is going to recreate. Uh, a time period building or thing. It's probably the Hanson Company is probably the right building. <laughs> well, we respect it. Yeah. We're, we're very respectful of it. Yeah, because this office, I would imagine, this would, would your offices would have been Charlie Chaplin's office. Yes, I imagine. I'm guessing Herb Alpert's office. No, actually, because it was um, Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss, and Jerry was that's A um, and M, right. Albert Moss, and Jerry Moss had this office because Jerry was in the he was in the offices all the time. Yeah. Whereas Herb was back and forth from from the recording studio. So Herb had the office that's we have an adjoining bathroom between <laughs> the office that we're sitting in now and what is now my sister's office. That was um, Herb's office. Was Got that it. one over there, which is a little bit smaller, but. Um, when Herb Albert was here a few months ago, and he hadn't come for years and years and years, and we were trying to get him to come back, and he said, "No, no, no." When I when I when I sold A and M, I dis, I I vowed I would never come back on the lot, and um, and that of course was many years ago now, decades ago, and we tried to get him. We kept trying to send messages to Herb. No, you've got to come <laughs> because we've kept his recording studio precisely the way he built it. It is like, exactly kept, exactly what he built and designed, and we finally got him back, and he had such a great time. That now he comes back with the Tijuana Brass and he records and everything. Oh, that's but, great! Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And he went. He he said to me about the bathroom, this adjoining bathroom that's between my office and my sister's, and was between Jerry and Herb. Um, Herb said, "Oh, that bathroom. The greatest thing about that bathroom is the acoustics are perfect." <laughs> For figuring out trumpet riffs, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, that must have driven Jerry nuts!" <laughs> oh my god! And did they record anything in there? Like, there must be no. Some... He just, I think, no, because he has his. You know, he built these really fancy echo chambers that yeah. were state of the art. They're t- and we still use them, and they're the they're physical echo chambers. They're actually, concrete buildings behind the recording studio that are all slightly different shapes. And you go through this little, tiny little door to get into these little buildings, and in the middle of the building is this big speaker and a microphone. And those are echo chambers. And when they're in the recording studio, they can send it out 
send out the sound out to one of those echo chambers and record it coming back. And that's how Herb designed the Tijuana Brass sound. He has all these echo chambers. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> Although I do want to hear, like, yeah, I recorded uh, Taste of Honey uh, sitting on this toilet. You know, like, oh, wow, what a great beat. You can just tell people that. But that – because we, we did um, – you guys, uh, years ago, I think maybe like six or seven years ago, we shot that Ben Folds video here, right. and you let us use the Fraggles. You brought the Fraggles back, and uh, and that like the the recording studios are literally a time capsule. Like the coffee tables in the back, yeah. the couches, like everything is it is it, it is a museum back there. Basically, we try to keep it really. Perfect. I mean, it's it's not doesn't look old. Like we'll reupholster something, but pretty much in the same upholstery as it gets worn out. And and of course, the the mixing boards themselves are updated. The the actual sure, mixing yeah. boards. But yes, all the cabinetry and the recording studios look exactly the same as when I think built and, it. and I appreciate I appreciate not only your. Um, initiatives for preservation but also the thing that i'm always fascinated by and i've told the story a lot to people and this is probably actually confusing your listeners because it was the charlie chaplin studio. it was charlie chaplin then, then it was a&m then records it became a&m records and that's and, and then that's why it's very rich in history both for the film making yeah. history of charlie chaplin and then the music history and then your dad bought A&M. it from a&m i bought it you bought it from a&m i, I bought it from well a&m Belonged to Polygram. Mm-hmm. Polygram had bought A and M and kept A and M open in America, and then Polygram was bought by Universal. Got it. And then when Universal bought Polygram, they basically eliminated A and M and just brought it all into their their music division. Yeah, but it's perfect because you it's not a big lot; it's an intimate lot. But you have an amazing sound stage. Yes, and and I always tell people, especially when Age of Resistance came back, I would tell people, like, yeah, they just have Skeksis just, like, around the... Like, you just go into, like, a room of cubicles and there's just a Skeksis right there. And the thing that's amazing to me about it is that you would think, oh, that should be behind museum glass. and But but it's just out so people can enjoy it. And so I appreciate... And there's dinosaurs from dinosaurs around that <laughs> too. So I appreciate that you respect these things, but you also know that... They, there's a certain sense of like, yeah, but they should still be lived with and appreciated and not be, you know, all locked away behind, you know. No, protected. that's right. And actually, when some of the cre- the more creaturey creatures, they they will um, uh, inherently they will rot over time. Yes. So when you make something out of molded foam, the setting agent that sets the mold actually continues to be active. So. So after about 15, 20 years, they will eventually become dust. So what happens is we'll take some, like you'll see them in the trees and on the outside of the buildings, some of real characters that we use when we know it's going to rot and we can always go back and make another one. Then we'll sort of put it out where people can enjoy it until it's until gone. it's all. That, well, that's really sweet because I've been up to the archives at Skywalker Ranch and the original Yoda puppet is he's just aged it just looks like a yeah he's probably dust by now he does not look great i saw him uh maybe eight or nine years ago i'm sure they've renovated and renovated it because the 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 foam skin itself will have rotted but but good um do you call them not renovators what do you call the museum people who take care of something oh the restore the restorers so restorers will they'll they'll they can seal it and make it look good but it won't be it won't be mobile the way it was when we first shot. Yeah, because I was emailing Nicole Goldman, who's sitting over here, who's worked for the Henson Company forever, and she's a, a wonderful human being. And I've had a, I adore you, Nicole. And I emailed Nicole because I bought a Vogon from Hitchhiker's Guide. Right. Uh, someone had it, and I bought it, and it's the big Huge. head appliance. Yeah, yeah. And it, the, it is starting to deteriorate. And so I reached out to Nicole and saying, like, what do I do? <laughs> Can someone fix this? Because I just don't want to, you know. I, I I know there used to be old Ronco commercials for like oh you could just like put a little strip of vinyl on something and then iron it and then it would fix and like but I don't know I don't know how to restore that thing and I just don't want it to deteriorate anymore. Yeah, well, no, it's hard. You need a kind of an art restorer to to lock it in time so it won't rot any further. Is there a separate field of study for this particular, or do you like what's the field of study that someone would go into to build and restore puppets? Honestly, we mostly – well, 
Some of them, we, we actually do some of the museum restorations of our older puppets, but the truth is there are little companies that what they do is restoration for museums. And yeah. That's what they do. And actually, they're really good at doing our creatures just like they would do almost anything else that's in the museum. They, just, they are experts in exactly um, matching an original texture and color, but using a different material sure. that, won't, that won't rot. Right. Because also, I would imagine materials and also environmental uh, codes have changed in the last several decades. Yeah, maybe, on some of it. Yeah. Yeah, we used to use this shoe glue called barge, which we're not allowed (laughs) to use anymore. (laughs) We used to barge everything. In in London, we used to barge everything inside of workshops that were all asbestos-coated on all the walls. What's this asbestos? (laughs) Oh, it seems fine. What? Oh, no, yeah, you're not supposed to use that. Do you have a... Do you, do you have a private... Like, what's your crowning jewel? Like, what is your favorite piece that you that you have saved from over the years? Oh, you know what the truth is? I don't particularly personally save anything. Like, I've got stuff in and around the office here, but it all belongs to the company. We We generate so many props and creatures over the years that... We can only keep some of them, and and actually, quite a lot have been um, donated to the Smithsonian, sure. to the Atlanta Puppetry Center, uh, to the Museum of Moving Image in New York, um, and I think we even have some here with the the Academy of Motion Picture, and um, but but we generate so much stuff. I don't really collect it myself. Yeah, I kind of am from the school. I mean, what the art form. One of the things that I, and I think I've heard this from my dad first, so I'm sort of borrowing it from him. But one of the cool things of our art form, as opposed to theater and and building museum exhibits, is you do all of this work to create these incredible creatures and sets. And then really it's all for a specific moment in time where you then capture it. And it and and you and it goes through a little aperture on a camera where it gets burned into the emulsion on the film, and then it's done. That that's now the art. So that it become it starts as the artwork of designing creatures and building oh creatures and building sets, and then it becomes the art form of lighting them and shooting them and performing them. But then the way the art lives is as the movie, and, and so not as all the props and environments. So we tend, actually, unfortunately, not to keep a lot of the stuff. We we let it go. That's incredible, and it's also that is a really artistic way to think about it, especially as you're sort of watching the soul of it transmute from craftsmanship to craftsmanship to craftsmanship, and then ultimately, at that point, then it transfers to the audience and right. then it becomes their their art at right. the same time but we've just become such a and me in particular such a culture of collectors and preservers and like oh you can't you gotta <laughs> you know that even the idea of you didn't save all that you know like you hear about oh yeah warner brothers just threw out a bunch of cells you know they're just used to they were just in dumpsters because they deteriorated anyway and they didn't give a shit and they all just well and it can just become it also can just become so much storage and you know just like any company we have to be financially responsible and every now and then you know we'll realize oh my god our storage bills are getting up into the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and then we just have to you know let some stuff go and we and so so we do that we do that actually Actually, the worst story of that happening was when we made the Farscape TV series, yeah. which was 88 episodes of Farscape, and, uh, and then made the miniseries, four-hour miniseries. So it was 92, the, the equivalent of 92 episodes. And we made it at 625 resolution, which was the British, British slash Australian resolution. In America, we were shooting in 525 resolution back then. And now, of course, most things you're watching is a 1080 resolution. It's much higher. And, of course, now there's 2K TVs and 4K TVs. So the resolution's going up and up and up. But when we first shot Farscape, we kept the film in case we ever wanted to go back for higher resolution. Right. And after 92 hours, you can imagine, I was having storage bills that were up over $100,000 a year just to store all of this film. And literally, I was getting so much pressure. Are we really ever going to do this? And I was like, it's going to cost millions of dollars to ever try to re-put together that entire series. It's 92 episodes. And um, so then I I literally gave him the instruction to incinerate the film because that's what what you do. You incinerate the film. So I gave him the instruction, incinerate the film and let it go. And then... I swear to you, it was probably it was within six months, and it might have been like three months later. And this is after keeping it for years. HDNet came on, uh, came on Directv and the, and the cable services, and it was the first high definition TV channel. And 
and I and they called like as they were going on air and said, "We love the series Farscape, and we have a budget of we can pay we can pay millions of dollars oh, to get no! to get it re put together oh. in HD." And I was like. I just destroyed the Can film. you glue ashes together? <laughs> and do you have a wizard spell? <laughs> I know. it's such a, I'm, The good news is then the software and, and hardware has been developed over the years that you can take something, particularly if it started at 625 resolution, which is higher than the American, and you can get it up to 1080i. You can do an up res that actually nowadays looks really good. So, so it was a terrible heartache for me for a few years until the up-res technology got really good. And actually, now when you watch Farscape, it looks really good, and it looks pretty much like HD. I can't though. believe that's been 20 years. I know. That yeah. is mind-blowing. I know. Is that... Did the? I should have been a little kid then. <laughs> that's what I keep saying to myself. <laughs> well, it just, it's just so funny. Is like when we were growing up, 1999 sounded so far into the future, and oh, now it's like God. two decades yeah, ago. Yeah, no, when I was a kid, I remember thinking, oh, God, I'm going to be 37. Is that right? 37. That's like, ancient. I'm going to be 37. Oh, so old. At the millennium. And I remember thinking, it's going to be the greatest party ever that the planet yeah. has ever seen, and I'm going to be too old to even want to do anything. That's what I thought as a kid. I was like, at 37, I'm going to be too old to want to do anything. I'll just be sitting at home during the Y2K party. I remember. Oh, I remember, too, because I was 28. I knew I was going to be 28. I mean, like, and even that, to a kid, it felt like that's way too old. 29. What, is, what do I even do? I'll be in my pajamas by 4 o'clock. Who, who, even, who even know? I'll, I'll have a drool cup around my neck. And, you know, and now you're like, it's not old. is the new 25, right? Isn't that how it works? I think that's how it works. So what did you, what did you guys do for the 20th anniversary for Farscape? Oh, let's see. We've done what have we done? Well, we've done quite we've done quite a lot of convention appearances. We were we were at Dragon Con. We were at um, uh, we were at uh, oh come on uh, uh, Comic Con and what we put the we put the HD uh, transfer, which a lot of it was HD, but now we've got a really good HD. Uh, masters of Farscape, and we put them on Amazon Great. this year. And they had been unavailable, not by design, but the series had been unavailable for about a year and a half. And the fans were so, so pissed off at me. And, and I'd get, you know, we would get, they were so angry. They were like, how can it be unavailable? And the, the real answer was because they were caught up in a distribution deal. There was a distributor who had the rights to, to put to put Farscape onto the streaming services, but that distributor was in bankruptcy and the judge wouldn't release the rights. And it was like ridiculous for all the most ridiculous reasons. Yeah. I couldn't let... So then we put it onto Amazon and then the, the results have been fantastic, which is so great. The audience is... And, and it's allowing me to now really, in a very realistic way, talk about um, doing the continuing story of Farscape, so so that's what Rockne O'Bannon and I are working on now. Oh, is- that's so that's so great to hear because it <laughs> it's you know the there's so many media channels now. There's just so much stuff, but the good news about that is that your very specific needs can get met. And so people can, you know, we can get more um, Dark Crystal. We can get Adri- you know, we can get more Farscape. And also it. Uh, it is. I do tell people whenever they complain about, whenever they get mad about why something is or isn't happening for them, it's like it's usually a, a legal problem. There's almost right. always like it's ne- no one's ever trying to screw you over or give you a bad day or be like it's the, you're not sitting on the far the Farscape tapes going screw these people they'll never get these ha 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 it's you know it's exactly no, I said yeah. some horrible complicated legal thing that no one has any control right. over. People just assumed I was like strategically no. re- making it unavailable. Available so that people would hound me to when get it back. When in doubt, it lawyers. And yes. that's not to offend any lawyers who are listening, but I'm just saying, y'all do tend to hold shit up. <laughs> but that's fine. I know it's your job. <laughs> but that's usually... Well, it's usually when in doubt awful when like, it's because some company is in bankruptcy and some yeah. judge won't even discuss with you right... Anyway, yeah. it was ridiculous. But then one of the big things we're doing to celebrate the 20th anniversary is that we're going to have a cool party here on the lot, which is, yes. which is really fun for us on, on October 19th, the evening of October 19th, which is a Saturday, we're going to open up the lot. And it's a little bit like, um, 
uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory mm-hmm. here. It's like the public can't come in to the lot. The lot is closed to the public. So it's really fun to do something where the fans, where we're going to open up the gates and the fans can come to, and um, w- wait, what are, we na- what are we calling our party again? Oh, the Uncharted Territories 20th anniversary costume celebration. So people are coming in, are yeah, they so coming pe- in their favorite Varscape characters? That's what I'm, ho- yeah. that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, if they somebody will. really wants to come and they can't quite, you know, you can almost do anything and still be part of the Farscape universe as yes. long as you do something weird. But they can come as their favorite Farscape character. But the fans of Farscape know we probably ran 20 species of aliens through that show. So yeah. there, so there's a whole lot of choices that you can make. I'm sure so, people will. I mean, and coming to a, an event here on the lot is so much fun. And I was so honored to host that tribute to Carol Spinney. Yeah, that was a great night. Because it... Again, it never ceases to amaze me how when you're in front of the puppets, you look them in the eye. You don't... I mean, even when you can see the puppeteer underneath, you still... Like, you you just revert to your childhood, and you are immediately in love, and it's... They're the most famous, you know... I mean, it was all the Sesame Street yeah, yeah. Muppets, and it, it, was, it was just a, such an incredible experience. Well, I think it's a really... There's something special about puppetry, and it does all go back to... I mean, people say, oh, it's the oldest art form in the world. Who knows? But I do think the idea of taking an inanimate object like... In caveman days, like a rock, and right. saying, "Oh, the rock is alive." The rock says, "You should eat your dinner," <laughs> you know, to the baby who doesn't want to. You know, the kid that doesn't want to eat. The, the, you, every dad, every parent knows. Do a little puppetry, yep. and, and then have the rock tell the kid yeah. to eat, yeah. and then the kid will eat. Um, but that whole idea of uh, infusing an inanimate object with with a personality uh, um, is just inherently delightful to people. It's just, and I think that's why puppetry in, initiated and why. It still resonates so strongly. It's just it's different than computer animation and all that stuff, which are which are extraordinary illusions. I mean, what CGI can do and create a such a realistic creature that you believe it's real is amazing mm-hmm. and blows my mind and I'm a huge, huge fan. But when you do puppetry, whether it's puppetry or even animatronics like the stuff that we do in Farscape, we're doing a slightly different thing. And we're, we know that the illusion isn't perfect. And because the illusion isn't perfect, then you're right back to puppetry. And the audience will make the jump of disbelief and accept them and believe them. But they also are now super appreciative of the artistic work that's right. going into creating the characters. Whereas if you watch a, a, a Marvel movie with a, the perfectly created CGI character, you kind of forget that there was ever an artist involved. You right. accept it as reality, and it makes you not sort of appreciate the artistry as much. So, so I think that's part of why puppetry and even animatronics and all that stuff still works so well. It has its own lane. Of course, yeah. And it, you don't look at... It's not like you look at the Mona Lisa and go, this isn't a photograph. Like, no. It's, <laughs> and why isn't she smiling? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you appreciate it because it was something that was expressed by a person. And also... Uh, your assistant had gotten you a sandwich and it was just this perfect sandwich on a bun and I said I'm so tempted to just go around and stick eyes on everything here because (laughs) anything here when you walk around this lot or in this office could be a character right and that sandwich you know if you just put eyes on it like well that's a character all of a sudden you know like you could make anything here into a character but in the earliest days what was it because even just watching how puppeteering has evolved because in the earliest days that your dad was doing stuff just you know in black and white television they were very simple puppets yeah some sock puppets just some very simple felt and eyes and still it was creating characters with very simple stuff going all the way up to what you're talking about now which is a an animatronic concert yeah of robotics and people live and someone else doing the voicing and the and the facial expressions and so but what's the What's the underlying principle that makes it all work? What's the ma- what's the magic that he created and then passed on to you? Well, I I think what we always say here is what separates uh, excellent puppetry from not so excellent puppetry is when you believe the puppet is thinking. Mm-hmm. So if you can perform, and and honestly, a really good puppeteer can take a co- a styrofoam coffee cup and bring it to life. 
and have it be reactive and you go, I know what that coffee cup is thinking. Right. And that's, that's really when it becomes, that's when it, when it goes from being kind of entertaining to magic Mm -hmm. is when your brain says to you that inanimate thing is thinking right now. That's incredible. And, and what's great is with the Muppets, for instance, people would say, how do they, how are they so expressive? And I say, well, they're not expressive at all. <laughs> they have no expression at all. It's all going on inside your head, and they don't believe it. And they're like, you're kidding me. They don't do- nope, there's nothing. It's all what your head is saying the puppet is thinking. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's what makes it I guess great. that's true, because about the most expression that Kermit can have is if you squunch up his face. Yeah, that's right. Kermit has an expression. But that's but it. But Miss Piggy doesn't. No. Really. Mouth open, mouth closed. <laughs> you know, most of them are mouth open, mouth closed. <laughs> the eyes are fixed? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The I mean, are... some of them have eye mechanisms. And, of course, the animatronics have a whole lot more. But, but that's really when it becomes special is when you feel like... I know what it's, I know what that inanimate thing is thinking, and now I can start to anticipate its next action. Well, that's what was so interesting about um, when Henson started doing more um, world immersive pieces, like which started like, with Dark Crystal, which started really. with Dark Crystal, yeah. where it was, you know, where you were uh, before it was mostly, like you said, in the imagination of the person watching. And then it's like, okay, we're going to take and that it was, basic no, concept. And, 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 it immer- was, and it was, it's ping pong balls and felt. Yeah. That's what it is the audience is meant to, and that meant to know that. And then when we went into Dark Crystal, it's like, no, no, this is a real living world, but there is still a big separation between what we do in Dark Crystal and what you're doing with sophisticated CGI effects. Because with Dark Crystal, you watch it, and it was never trying to be a perfect illusion. You know they're puppets. You know they're being worked by puppeteers. So that actually the audience is going, where's the puppeteer? Right. How did they do that? What did they, how did they make that? Wow, look at the artistry involved in designing that creature. You right. know? So, so I think my dad, when he was making Dark Crystal, was kind of trying for that CGI effect of it's so perfect, you accept it. Couldn't get there. And then realized he hit an even better lane, or rather its own lane. Sure. I'm sure you've gotten this question a million times before, but I've never heard the answer to it. Would he have appreciated CG? Do you think he would have appreciated bits and pieces of it? Or do you think he would have been like, no, this is all, we need this as practical as possible? Oh, no, I think he would love it. And, and some of the stuff that we're doing with CG, we're, we, when we do a CGI character, we often are performing it in live time mm-hmm. so that it's not 24, it's not broken down to 24 frames per second. And instead, we find ways to perform CGI characters. And that's what we call digital puppetry here on the lot. So when we do CGI, we're not looking for as perfect an effect. But we're trying to capture the spontaneity of performance and apply it to CG animation, which is which is kind of fun. But my dad would have loved all of it, and and he was uh, the, the first real time, the first live time performed CGI character he created for a show called um, The Jim Henson Hour mm-hmm. and then did more of it with the character Waldo in the, the Muppet Vision 3D movie, which was his very last project before he passed for, uh, for, for the uh, California for theme parks. Yeah, it was for yeah. California Adventure I remember that. first. Yeah. yeah, that was a really fun attraction. It's not there anymore, but it was a great... You got to go sit in the... It was like you were in the audience of The Muppet Show. Yeah, no, it was great. And actually, it had such a big audience and it was, it was a good show. I think... I think it is possibly the most the most people for for all of the Disney attractions. I think it actually has the most people have gone through it to, of any of their attractions. I'm sure. Yeah, I hope they and cons- they'll probably reboot it because Disney. They do, that's what they do. They very carefully unpack it and pack it away, and yeah, and they can bring it back again. Well, especially with Disney Plus now, it's you know there's going to be so much. It's going to be so interesting to see. You know, there's there's so many uh, platforms coming out now that are demanding content, and it's going to be so interesting to see where the business. I have so many friends who are like, "Where do you think the business is going?" I go, I don't know if anyone knows. Nobody like knows. the next three years with you know Disney and HBO and CBS Viacom and 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 uh, Warner Brothers. Like, I have no idea how that's all going to shake out. Yeah, I don't either. I think one thing, and and the fact that we could make Age of Resistance is really one of the great examples of what streaming content can do 
we would never have been able to make the age of resistance for broadcast television because right. broadcast television was always about how big is your audience mm-hmm. because it's a direct calculation. How many people are watching equals how much money we're making in advertisement. Right. And you always went for the biggest possible audience, which meant if you were programming a broadcast channel like ABC or CBS, you, you said, okay, this show is working. Make another one like it. Mm-hmm. Make another one like it. Now let's make a whole evening that's all like that so that yeah. you're just holding the biggest possible audience. And for the streamers, it's something completely different. They want to make sure they're getting more audience all the time. So if you have something like Age of Resistance, which is, you know, the Dark Crystal is one of the greatest fantasy titles ever, probably the most fantastic of fantasy titles, considered probably the purest form of, of fantasy. So you bring that onto Netflix, they're ready to spend the big dollars to make it really, really beautiful because they know it's going to be a must-see for a small minority of the population, but worldwide. Right. And that becomes a super valuable thing for them, whereas appealing to a small a, a minority of the population, but having it be must-see for them, used to be a formula for disaster. Oh, for absolutely. For broadcast television. Absolutely. That was the early cancellation. Absolutely, because <laughs> they, they need... And shows now... Like a successful show now would have been canceled within five minutes, like right. even 10 years ago. Yeah. But it, it is a slightly different paradigm because you're right. Television is we need as many viewers as possible. But the streaming stuff, especially if you subscribe they need to a the service, most subscribers. they need the most subscribers. And, they, and their, their, their uh, plan is to keep people subscribing and not bouncing from their platform. Mm-hmm. So the more value they create, look at all this offering right. of, you know, that will algorithmically deliver the types of, you know, then people go, okay, yeah, I guess this is worth 20 bucks a month or right. whatever. They want to appeal to every niche market. That's right. Yeah. As opposed to taking one thing to appeal to everyone. And looking for the broadest market. Yeah. Right. And so do are, 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 they, are people constantly hounding you with like, Okay, now when's the labyrinth? Like, where's the Jareth origin story? Like, they oh, must, sure. yeah, yeah, yes, constantly. And we're all working on versions of all of that stuff. Is there a is there a project that's sort of just in your heart where you're like, I really want this one to really, you know, like if I can get this thing made, I'll feel like I'll I don't feel- know. I feel differently. It always depends on. Right now, I I really do feel like I. I want to and need to revisit the Farscape universe. So, so I'd say right now, right now that is probably what I want the most. Yep. Um, but it's hu- it's a huge undertaking. It took me five six years to get Farscape up the first time. It wouldn't take that long now because now it's established. But um, it's a big thing to to get it going again. But I really would love to do the continuing story of of Farscape. So that that's one that I really want, which is interesting because. In my, my in the tradition of my dad, my dad would never do anything that he'd already done, and so yet I do kind of want to do Farscape again. But I'm gonna I need to find a way that it feels different enough that it feels feels fresh for me. But like my in our company, we never do anything that's like something else. We right. try not to, uh, unless in this case a, a sequel or a prequel. And, sure. and Age of Resistance is is a beautiful example of it's so respectful of the original movie, but then did did something even bigger and and more. Um, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, it did. I mean, it was to me it used the right amount of all the technology available to where you had all of your practical effects and then the CG was there not as a crutch but just to embe- embellish and enhance yeah. the world and a tool that allowed you to do the things that we just couldn't do right back then you know and back then you'd have to Shit's write expensive, it out it's expensive man it's expensive to do <laughs> stuff you know cuz i feel bad when i whenever i've i've run into people before where they've said you know i'm a CG artist and i get bummed cuz i feel like you talk so much about practical effects and what we do is also an art form. And I go, oh my God, you're totally right. I don't mean Absolutely. it, but it, but it is the finding the correct balance of the two. Because we're still not at the place, you know, maybe Smeagol aside, we're still not like, you still see full body CG and you're like, oh, the weight's not like, it's almost, you know. Well, I think, or or in a good CGI movie, there's always a, certain characters where the team animating those characters, yeah. those, there's always like a couple of characters that are perfect, right? And then and then you know you get some that are not so much. But it is, but it is the it is that agreement with the audience of like, 
Yeah, don't go in and expect it to look. You shouldn't want it to look you like. You shouldn't want it to look perfect. Yeah. yeah. Or you'll, well, I don't know. It's, there's, a, there's a different standard for different things. I don't want, with in our company, I don't want the illusion to look so perfect that the audience stops appreciating what the artists did. Right, right, right. So how far down the road are you with continuing the Farscape story? Oh, it's mostly just with me and Rock at this point. <laughs> we're, we're figuring it out. But actually, we're, we're, we know what we want to do, but I'm not out pitching it and selling it yet. I'm not there yet. But it is, it is so interesting that we are in a world now where, think, where the, the, a story can always pick up where just when we were growing up, it was like, once something's done, it's done. And there's generally no going back. And now it's like, no, it's, you know, like there, there's room to pick things up and do right. them again. And, you know, like in audiences, I think they really do find comfort and joy in the continuation of things that they had to put down years ago. Yeah, I think you will not see us do remakes often, although we are talking about doing theater shows. Sure. Of 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 productions, but I doubt you'll see our company do a remake right. of something that was um, classic. Um, but but Farscape was a little bit different. We didn't finish it up with a neat little bow, or rather, they kind of go on to live happily ever after. But it finishes with Ben, oh, Ben, with Crichton and Aaron. I'm gonna, was going to use the actor's name, Claudia and Ben. <laughs> no, um, with with Crichton and Aaron, they have a baby. So and that was. 18 years, 16 years ago now. So that baby is now at a good age. To, if we were to like sort of catch up just in, and be in the same time frame, yeah. that, that, um, that's sort of exciting. And, and we kind of knew that when we did it. I mean, we were presenting this baby, when we, and, and it was sort of a promise to the audience, there's a, there's a future here. It must be also tough to balance the, um, you know, the soul of the company is so artistically and uh, craftsmanship oriented. But it, but like you said, it's a business having to make the decision of like, I guess we have to destroy all these because it costs $100,000 a year to keep them and there's just physically no place to keep them is still... Do, do you feel like, you know, that um, limitations, hurdles, financial, is it's a good thing to have because it forces you to be more creative or do you sort of... If you had unlimited resources and unlimited everything... I'd be lost. Yeah. I would get lost. I, li- I like I like to create inside a box. Um, I think there are other people who like proper blue sky creation where you can just do anything. Uh, personally, I kind of like to know what what the 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 uh, logistics box mm-hmm. is. You yeah. know, I'm going to have to shoot an episode every three days, right? Or I've got eight days to shoot an episode. I I like to kind of know what those various boxes are and then create within them. Otherwise, I. I feel like I get completely untethered. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Well, yeah, because it, because I feel like a certain amount of creativity does come from resistance or conflict or whatever, because it's kind of a re-expression of that. And, and so to, you know, you can get really frustrated and go, damn it. We, this thing won't let this thing happen. It's like, well, maybe that will force you to make right. a better decision or a solution that's more interesting than what you were going to do before yeah i find that i think that's exactly i find problem solving the best place to be creative Mm -hmm. but that's just me i don't know if that's everybody but i give me the problem and then if i can solve it in a creative way using you know creative ideas to solve that problem that to me has always been the artistry i'm most proud of for whatever reason right because it makes it forces your brain to think and every time it's if you're just trying to create a character try and create a character or a transition or an environment or whatever it is if it's part of a problem we've only got this much money we've only got this time we've only got these characters available whatever and then you're solving it as a problem not so much as a creative exercise that's actually when you get almost the most creative sure but do you find that you have to make a conscious decision to balance out most of your days with like, oh, I'm making too many business decisions today and I want to do some creative stuff. Like, are you, do you have to carve out the time to be creatively fulfilled in the midst of running the business? I think I used to... I, yes, I don't know. Yeah, I just kind of never feel like... I, I, I try not to have as much business time nowadays. 
Um, my sister is now CEO of the company. It's yeah. not me. I did my time as you CEO. You did your time and you I did my time. Yeah. So now, I mean, they call me chairman, and I am chairman, but I'm chairman of the board of directors. I'm not chairman in the, in the, the, with the definition of the top manager of the company. I'm not managing the company. Yeah. I'm chairman of the board of directors. My sister, Lisa, yep. is the CEO of the company. So that allows me to be a little bit less businessy oriented. Certainly back in the days when, when I was CEO for all those years, then I would look for, I've got to get out of Hollywood. Yeah. I've got to get up into the mountains. Or I've got to get to England. I've got to be able to sit with people and not talk about movie, the industry. Because I would start to feel like I'm not, there's no creative anything in my head. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. And Lisa's been great, too. All the t- interactions that I've had with her. It's like, you, you guys are like a really nice family. And, and it, it makes me happy that, and I think, it would ma- I think it makes fans happy to know that you care about the stuff as much as they do. And I think, as, as certainly as part of the Henson story, I think that's important. You know, it's important for people to know and understand that. That if you could, you would give them everything they wanted, but there are compromises and business things, and you, you know, and so it is. I can't imagine it's a, you know, some days it's easy, but you still manage to figure it out, I suppose. <laughs> it's never really easy. <laughs> it it's never, never gets easy. easy. It never gets but easy. No. So, how. How do you recommend that in this business people keep their wits about them to not forget to do that when it's so much about getting likes and how many followers and what does the network want and I audiences or blah, 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 blah. I think it's, um, it's, that it, it's almost impossible to figure that one out yeah. um, because I think you should have original ideas and you should be trying to think of, of original stuff that you want to do. But when people, when I hear the advice of just stick with your original idea, just stick with it and eventually it'll go, that can be not true. Sure. And, and that can be really, really frustrating. So it's like, you, I think you have to be trying to think of what you want to see next, right. what you want to do next, but then be ready to kind of adjust it so that it works for whatever for yeah. for Netflix or Disney Plus or CBS or NBC um you kind of need to be flexible a little bit but you have to be careful of not listening to what everybody's telling you like with my dad he made Dark Crystal Dark Crystal was very su- was successful it's very successful now right. like crazy success but when it was the theatrical release was medium successful of Dark Crystal. So when he came around to doing Labyrinth, there was a lot of, well, where's the music? You know, we're used to singing and dancing. Mm-hmm. Why, is it, why isn't there music in the... And, and it's not as funny. Dark Crystal's not funny, and we like everything to be funny from Jim Henson. And, you know, with The Muppet Show, you had guest stars. Shouldn't there be some people? So when he went to make Labyrinth, I think he felt like he was really... He was responding to a lot of that input of because he'd made dark crystal he'd worked years and years and years he wanted to do another thing in that vein but this pressure of but now you should put people in it and mix the world up and now make it funnier and now make music a much more a much bigger part of it and then he made labyrinth and labyrinth performed much worse than than dark crystal oh my god that's and, I, I thought i always thought of that i saw that movie like opening day right in the theater. Well, Labyrinth, I wish my dad had lived longer because, you know, he didn't live a long time after Labyrinth released. And, and he never got to see that it became the huge hit that it is today. But literally, Labyrinth has grossed more money every year than it did the year it was released. Right. Um, since it released. So in a way, it actually did way beyond, I mean was that idea of like, oh, people didn't immediately connect with it, but it it was ahead of its time. It just needed a little time to catch up. So it actually did way better than I imagine what it set out to accomplish, which is like, now it's eternal. Yes. Like, it is eternal. There's, you know, masquerade balls and people, you know, like the characters live on and people name their pets, you know, like different names from the the movies. And, And so it... It really is. I feel like it accomplished probably way more than he ever would have imagined. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he he would have loved to have now been able to look back and and see the impact of Labyrinth because in those first few years it was considered a misfire, right? Which is such a shame. Yeah, yeah, because it definitely is not. <laughs> I mean, it. It are are there any other older titles that? You do you ever just do you have a list of like oh you know like we could dust some of this older stuff off are there lesser known titles that you ever think about 
kind of pitching and bringing back out? Well, Tale of Sands is a was a storyboard that my dad had done, which mm-hmm. was a quite surrealistic film, and he and and it was the only thing really that was quite fleshed out that that he had created and never produced. Um, if that's what the kind yeah, of thing, yeah. I mean, and we did a, a beautiful um, uh, art. What do you call those kind of art books? Um, what, a graphic novel. Thank yep. you. I'm sorry, my brain's fried. Uh, <laughs> well, you we did a beautiful graphic novel of Tale Sands, which the fans love, and we're trying to produce that as an independent movie. Just so people understand what we've done, you were uh, on stage working on something giving notes, producing, you literally ran straight from there. You walked right past your sandwich and <laughs> sat down on this couch and immediately just dropped into chatting with microphones. So, and it's day three of shooting. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, well, you're shooting like 40 days or something? It's yeah. Like, it's like yeah. a big, it's a big production schedule. Yes. Yeah, so I think... <laughs> It's okay, you know, if, you know, don't you even worry about If I can't about remember that. words like graphic novel. Like graphic novel. Or, 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 or resta- restoration. Or what I your, think that or was what the your earlier one name I is. Pull. Or what. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing, too, is that it's, you know, it, it is fun to cram a bunch of stuff in a day, but it is hard for your brain to packet switch because your half your brain is still... It's like it's difficult to just detach from the thing you were doing and dropping in something else. Half your brain is probably still back on stage, and it's it's just like yeah. there's a there's like a, a snail trail of brain fluid, you know, from there to here where you're trying to like lock into this. But I always appreciate it. What else are you excited about uh, coming up? So you have Farscape is is on Amazon. No, Farscape is on Amazon. I'm really excited about this party that we're doing on October 19th. And, and if people want more information about that. Where should they get? Where should they get that? Yeah, where do we get where information? about that uh, oh. Farscape 20th is the website and tickets are on Eventbrite says Eventbrite yeah. so if you want to come to have a cool Farscape evening oh and Gigi Edgley is going to she, she does she's a great singer so she's actually and she plays Chiana so she's actually going to do a live appearance That's and great. there'll be other cast members here and stuff and like that and show up in gonna, costume yes and show up in costume I'm sure we're giving a prize for best costume Oh, we get a tour of the creature shop. I bet we'll figure out more stuff, too. A tour of the creature shop? <laughs> now, if someone did not have a Farscape costume, how might they get in on that business, Nicole Goldman? What, does, does having a Vogon, is that the, the worth the price of admission? <laughs> Exactly. That's that's my that's my scams. I'm taking to go. How, how do I uh, fix this fellow? I'm just going to take a look around while you guys are uh, sorting this amongst yourselves. Uh, all of these photographs are purely for personal use. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, how do you find keeping secrets in the age of spoilers and leaks and oh, social media? I don't really get it. The truth is, I think it's all a marketing scam, mm-hmm. and that it always has been. Yeah, and I don't know. It seems like it's been around as long as we've been making movies in this country. But the whole idea of it has to be secret; nobody's allowed to know. Um, I don't know that I get it particularly. Mm-hmm. I, I so I anyway. So I have to keep everything secret sure. because people who are funding the stuff that make me they keep want everything secret. secret. Yeah. I don't really understand it. I I think it's all a fear of if. You, I think it's literally the fear of if you let people know what you're doing, they may not like it. And They'll then it, judge it And before. then it'll fail. Oh, my God. They'll prejudge it negatively. All you have to do so, is release a title and some people are like, that's a dumb title. I'm not going to watch that. You don't even know what it is. And you have all the time. And what do you just watch it and then decide? People don't want to. I mean, I feel like I do the same thing, too. It's like, especially if you're if you're scrolling through Amazon or Netflix and it's just like there's a hundred thousand of everything. And then you spend more time looking for stuff because you just don't want to take the risk that you might not enjoy something. And it's like, well, you could just experience it and then see how you feel. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, so I'm not really all that into the whole secrecy thing. But then sometimes I have to do it. When The Sixth Sense came out, out, it's not like everybody didn't go around and spoiler alert, you know, the twist in that one. Yeah. I think that if if somebody wants to know, if, I, anyway, I don't really buy the whole "it must be kept secret" thing. I just I, don't. But it's it's what everybody loves to do. But I would hate working on a movie if somebody said, "This is a role that you're going to be playing. Here's the character bio of the character, but we're never going to show you the script." Right. And every day that you show up, we're going to give you sides for the scene you're going to play. I right. think that I would find that. 
it would kind of piss me off. I'd be like, I kind of want to know what the movie is that I'm making. So I don't know. So and then la- and then two two last questions. Number one, just tip from for people who want to get into character creation puppeteering either through uh, digitally or through practical effects you gave a great bit of philosophy and insight on you know trying to make it appear those are the characters to thinking but what are what's a basic thing that people can do who are interested in even just picking it up as a hobby or or to start well, I mean, the great thing is now when when I was younger, you couldn't get you couldn't get a video camera. You couldn't. I mean, you could when I was younger, but not actually not when I was real young. Nobody could re- recreate what we do to do puppetry. Whereas now, you can set up your iPhone on a stand, pointed at, at, you know at the air above your head, and then you can you can FaceTime it to an, a, a tablet that's pointed at you. And you can recreate what we do with the Muppets. And you can work a puppet in front of that iPhone. You can record it. And you can even hang it up on YouTube. You can even get distribution. So, yeah. so I mean, what's what was so impossible in the old days is you actually can do it yourself, and you can have direct access to distribution through YouTube. So now my advice to people is just try. Whatever it is that you want to do, just try it. Yeah. Just do it. You can just do it now. And when people come to me and say, how can I, how can I get a start in puppetry? I'm like... Well, go to FAO Shorts and buy a puppet and put it in front of your iPhone it, draw and, eyes see on if the it, and see if, it, if, it, if it, it delights you to do it. It's, it's like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be trained. Um, and training is hard to find if, if you really are into puppetry and creature design. I mean, there's great art schools. Uh, there's puppetry tracks. University of Connecticut probably has the, the most established puppetry There's track. a Museum of Puppetry Arts. Yeah, Museum of Puppetry Arts. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going. There's all sorts of things you can, you can do. But what you really can do, if, if you really want to do it, is you just do it. Put just it on YouTube it. or TikTok or Instagram yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, you're yeah. right. If you can convey with a simple... like You don't even need a complicated puppet. If you can just convey with the simplest item anything that's probably the best way to to try to figure it out yeah. uh and then lastly what are you as you create so much joy for people in the world what are you joyful about yourself right now oh i don't know well i love my wife and I of love course my kids yeah um I don't know. That's such an interesting question. I've always been a sort of a builder. I like to build ideas and television shows. I love employing people. Mm-hmm. I love seeing, doing this new show. We're doing this show, which I can't talk about at all yet. Not, no. <laughs> Nicole, Nic- Nicole, her face. Nicole literally no. rolled her eyes. No, 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 no. Don't. Okay, okay but it's a, really, it's a really unique piece. And, 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 and again, it's, we're in this new era where people want something that's very different. So I'm doing something that's very different and I love going on set and there's probably a hundred over over a hundred people working even in the stage on it and um and seeing them all come together and doing something that just hasn't been done before and and it kind of reinvigorates it kind of brings you to life again when you're just doing something different so I get very passionate about that and then of course I yeah I you know my my daughter my stepson and my my wife that they're they're my life and I love traveling and I love we built a home here, and uh, my wife and I designed and built a uh, built a home up in the Hollywood Hills that we've been in for two years, and and it, that turned out to be a very satisfying thing. Like making a movie, it was like you know, it's and the house is very unique. It's very different. So I found, oh, that was that was fun. That was really interesting and, and rewarding. But that's not a prop that you're going to burn because you. I'm have not going to live in burn that one. <laughs> <laughs> the art is living in it. Uh, well, this has been a delight. Thank you for dropping in so fast and. I saw a piece of the thing that we can't talk about, and it looks amazing. It's so cool, right? When, really cool. When people are, when it is ready to be talked about, we will do that. And thank you to you and to Lisa and to Nicole and everyone here at the Henson Company who's always been above and beyond cool to me. I mean, you know, I'm such a huge fan of all of this, and so it delights me to no end that I get to come chat with you from time well, to time. Well, thanks, Chris. It's an, and it's my pleasure to do it. And thank you for coming. Thank you, Brian. The end. That was the ID10T podcast number 1023 with Mr. Brian Henson. And now it is time for Word Salad Rep. Got a lot of emails to what are you looking at, ID10T.com. I think so far support is leaning toward uh, either idiot rap or idiot salad. Um, so I don't know. We'll, you know, 
you know what this thing is. We'll figure out <laughs> we'll figure out a name for it. Um, but uh, this is my annual um, kind of sobriety message. Um, I let's see. I'm record today. This is the ninth of October, and yesterday the eighth of October. Um, I celebrated 16 years of sobriety, uh, and uh, and I posted about it on Instagram, which I always feel a little. One part of me feels weird because I feel like ah, I'm not. It's not that I'm trying to get people to be like, oh boy, good for you, buddy. You know, I I I guess where I feel respond the, the where I want to talk about it is that I know that you know when I was trying to figure out what to do and if I was going to go down this path, any little positive sign or symbol or word of encouragement or something was just like um, pure sugar cane for my soul. (laughs) And so, you know, I talk about it because if anyone is out there and they're on the fence or struggling or, or, you know, looking for a better way or a better path in life or feel like, oh, they don't know if they can do it or whatever, I am here to 100% tell you that if that is what you want to do, you can do it. I was just a person that didn't, I had doubts. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. I, you know, I worried about things like, am I going to be creative anymore? Am I going to still be funny if I'm not drinking? The answer is uh, yes to both those things. Actually, all that stuff went up exponentially. The The idea that you need um, substances to be more creative, I feel like, is false. And that it's just more of a, a justification that people use to <laughs> to keep doing it. But that's just my experience. Uh, I, do, I do really believe, though, that uh, if that's something that you're worried about, if you quit, you don't need to worry about that. Um, I feel like you'll be better. I found when I was on stage after I got sober, I, I was... I didn't realize how not clear I had been thinking on stage before because that's just all I had known. And so it was just like this this anchor had been lifted off my brain. It felt really good. And so I just like to tell people, hey, you know, maybe you're waiting for a sign. Maybe today's that sign. That's how it was communicated to me. Uh, I was sitting in a therapist's office and she said, uh, hey, you look like shit. Why don't you just quit today? Why don't you just quit today? And it, I was, it was the right time for me to hear it. And I just went, oh my gosh, you're right. Why don't I just quit today? Because I think before, the pattern before was like, and if you've ever quit anything, whether it's smoking or whatever, if it's like a diet thing or alcohol or whatever it is, you know, you always go, you know what, I'm going to quit on Friday. I'm just going to have like one last blowout this last week. I'm just going to kind of like ease out of it. And, and I found that the easing out of it process was a permanent process. I was always easing out of it and always finding ways, but never actually doing it. And so kind of being in a moment where someone just pointed a finger at me and said, Hey, maybe today's the day. And I was like, Oh my God, you're right. I don't even have to think about it. I'll just do it. And then I just tried it, you know, just the one day at a time thing. I just tried it to see how it went. And, you know, each day kind of racked up and someone on Instagram had asked me, had said like, you know, I'm, I'm recently sober and I, I, I still kind of struggle with, you know, the, the cravings and what do I do day to day? And I said, well, look, something that really helped me was that I, I bought a calendar, a physical calendar, uh, not a digital one, a physical calendar. Um, and I hung it, you know, some ridiculous calendar that I hung on the wall. And then I X'd off right before I would go to bed each day, I would X off a day. Like I've completed another day. That was a physical real world representation of me getting through one day at a time. And I, which I feel like you can use for anything. It doesn't have to be sobriety. It can be anything that you're trying to, to get through. I made it through another day and I grew to really look forward to be able to being able to get that reward. Even just that little emotional, I guess, dopamine hit. Is that what that is? Uh, (laughs) you know, just that little rush at the end of the day of like, Oh my gosh, I did it. I completed it. And that became very strongly symbolic to me. And I, it was at least a year that I, that I, you know, filled, filled a calendar. And so that was, so in times of when I felt, um, you know, when I was struggling or felt like, I don't know, am I doing the right thing? Is this right for me? Do I want it? I don't know. You know, I would, the couple of things that I would do is I would talk to therapists. Uh, I would talk to friends. I had a great support structure. There were a couple of comedians who had were sober that, I called, you know, every once in a while. I did go. Uh, I did go to some meetings at the time. Um, anything to kind of 
throw me into a positive environment um, and also looking forward to checking that, you know, making that X on the calendar at the end of the day. Those things really helped me get through it. And I also thought about, you know, yes, every day I kind of make a choice, you know, I make a choice. I could drink today or, you know, in your case, whatever it is else that you're trying to quit, you could do that thing today. But knowing I knew where I knew what life that was going to lead to and it wasn't a life that I wanted. It was just a life that I felt went to nowhere uh, except me just drinking more and more and more and just kind of ending up in a in a in a booze cocoon. And I didn't want that. And so making that choice every day of like, you know, this is a new option. And at least in this new option, you know, because um, things that are worth having are worth working for. And, you know, and I'm going to go down this path. And at least I feel like there's hope down this path, even though I don't know where it leads. I feel like it's hope because I'm choosing to be healthy. Um, and so that is how I've managed to, you know, to to stay sober all these years. And, and, and just for me personally, um, I don't miss it at all if you're struggling and you're in the early stages of it and you're like, oh my God, am I going to have cravings forever? In my case, the answer is no. Uh, I don't miss it. I find it kind of gross now, <laughs> actually. And any time that I've ever been, even had a molecule of, oh, you know, it'd be fun to just be able to have one drink, I kind of flash past that and go, but it would probably be like 20 drinks. <laughs> And then I'd be back right where I was before. And I don't want that. And it just immediately dissipates. So I don't, you know, if you're worried about missing it forever, I can just tell you from my experience, I don't. Um, I'm so much happier to uh, to have the clarity. And honestly, any kind of, you know, like I used to hate flying. And so I used to drink all the time when I was flying. And I used to think, how could I ever fly on a plane again without numbing myself with alcohol? And I figured it out. <laughs> and now I actually quite like flying uh, a lot. So, it, you know, if I had tried to take it all on at once, maybe I would have talked myself out of it. But that is, the, that is part and parcel of the one day at a time thing. You just get through each day, check off your box at the end of the day, and, and you know, know that you went to bed successful for that day. And then you just start again the next day. And then it just racks up. And before you know it, it's... One month, three months, six months, and for me, 16 years, which is crazy. Um, you know, that's a that's a third of my life. Um, well, it's a third of my life I've been sober, but I didn't actually start drinking until I was like 20. So I guess it's really more than two-thirds of my life that I haven't been drinking. But still, um, I just wanted to give you encouragement, tell you a little bit of my story, share on this sober birthday for me. Uh, because again, this might not apply to most people. Most people might be sick of hearing the, me talk about this stuff. But if it if it even affects one person the way that I was affected when someone just pointed a finger at me and said, "Today's the day you can do this," then it is a thousand percent worth it for me to talk about it uh, every so often, and certainly every year uh, on this uh, on this sobriety birthday. So um, I just want to remind you today: if you're looking for a sign, this is it. Uh, and if you're wondering if you're worth it, yes, you are. And you just need to find that little piece inside yourself um, that deems yourself worthy. It's in there somewhere, even if you don't believe it. And you are worthy of love and you should love yourself. Um, and that doesn't mean you're an egomaniac. If you love yourself, it's good to love yourself, to make respectful choices for yourself. Pro you uh, choices, as my trainer Tom always says. So just hop on whatever morsel that is. Uh, and just hold tight to it and just put one foot in front of the other one day at a time, one step at a time. Uh, I believe in you and I appreciate you. So thank you so much for listening to Idiot Salad, Idiot Rap, Word Salad Rap, whatever it is. And, uh, and I'll see you in your ears real soon. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. 
sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.